I'm going to start the conversation here and then you can ask me whatever you want about like Kimmy or whatever. Okay. And we're going to see where, and we'll see where it goes. And we'll just, again, we'll just have fun with it. Right. People have to like, they have to sign up for this if they're going to listen. Yes. To this talk. Yeah, so because we have to like see whatever. what happens. All right. Yeah. So, uh, welcome to leading agile sound notes. I'm Dave. No, Fire. you got to start over. You can't, you can't be cracking jokes and laughing while you're doing. I intro. always start. I laugh a lot. Why you give you? Okay, cool. Go for it. Hi, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to leading agile sound notes. <laughs> I'm not laughing so at all. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Mike Kottmeyer is here. Mike, thanks for being here for the podcast. Happy to be here, Dave. How you doing, man? I'm doing very good. I'm excited for this experiment. So we have a goal. A goal and for the talk? goal is to talk about, how would you describe it? Well, so, so you and I were having a conversation a while ago about the idea of kind of an executive being the product owner of their organization. And I was sharing with you some of my challenges as the leader of Leading Agile, trying to get things done in an organization and just was just explaining like I have empathy for product owners because like there's such a tendency to want to just give people thematic advice and throw it over the wall and then, you know, kind of count on getting what you want, but then you don't get what you want. And, you know, but you're too busy to give them more specific instructions, right? So I was just, yeah, just like, lamenting or um, uh, commiserating with the plight of product owners and, and, and the challenge associated with that job. And so that's where we're going to try to get to. And it's going to be a okay. little bit of a path journey. We're going to go on a journey. We agreed to go around the block. <laughs> yes. And, uh, it's going to be a really interesting starting place. From what <laughs> so I, understand. I yeah. from what you just said, I want to, I have a very specific yeah. place I want to start. So leading okay, Agile's cool. 10 years old and you've got, this yep. is your chance to plug the event this summer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's actually, it's actually pretty cool. Well, we're, we're, we're not quite ready for like registrations yet, but yeah. So on September 16th, um, we have, uh, we've hired Zach Brown band and, uh, we're getting together at the Coca-Cola Roxy, uh, theater in Atlanta, Georgia, and we're going to celebrate 10 years of leading agile. And we're going to have a round two of our elevate agile conference and we're gonna have the whole team in town and we're going to say, Hey, you know, we've been, we've been doing this for 10 years and we're excited about it and yeah. share that with everybody. Yeah. It is very exciting. Um, very and cool. so kind of riffing off what you just said, the, the question I want to ask is see, when you started out, it was just you and then you and Dennis, and then it grew and it grew mm -hmm. and it grew. Yeah. There, there had to be a point where you realized, okay, I can no longer be the one that just jams his hands back into the kitchen to try to do everything. Yeah. Now you have the problem of here's the thing and hope that you get what you want. Yeah. You can't be all micromanaging about it anymore. How long sure. did you as an entrepreneur – how long was it before you got to the point where you had to stop being the doer and that you were able to stop being the doer? Well, it, well, it's been a progression over time, right? I mean, it almost like on some levels, it almost started instantly is probably too, too fast. So like, um, but not far after like a year, year and a half, maybe. Okay. I mean, the way that it, the way that it kind of progressed was that, you know, all I had ever envisioned doing was going out and being an independent consultant and, you know, I, I knew how much money I wanted to make and how much I wanted to work. And, and I was just like, yeah, if I could just work 50% of the time and make this much money, I would be great. And, you know, but like in those early days, um, you are, you know, your accounts payable, your accounts receivable, your HR, your benefits, your consulting delivery, your sales, um, your everything. Right. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, your bookkeeping, your accounting, right. All that stuff. And so, um, 
you know, pretty early on, I, I kind of knew that I, I wasn't great at the accounting stuff and I didn't really want to be great at the accounting stuff. And so pretty early on, I hired um, Denise Taylor to help me with accounts payable and accounts receivable. And we had like a CPA firm. So, so I started delegating that kind of stuff fairly, fairly quickly. And then, um, you know, by the end of year one, I had sold more work than I could do. And so I started experimenting with, um, there's one guy we hired as a subcontractor and then Dennis and I, um, we weren't formally together in Leading Agile yet. And so I subcontracted some things to him and then it was like, um, by year two, we were starting to grow a team. And really at the point that we started to grow a team and we had consultants on the ground and there was a difference between what we were kind of doing in the back office and what we were doing in delivery, that's when it started to split a little bit for me. And, and so like I would over probably year two and three, there was a shift from focusing on exclusively delivery to more of almost like a sales and operations role. Okay. Um, and, and not as much in day to day delivery, but as you might imagine, you know, there's a lot of, you know, and it's still kind of the case in some ways is that, you know, I'm the brand of leading agile. So, so for probably years, two, three, four, five, six, um, it wasn't uncommon for me to show up, especially in the early stages of an engagement. And, and, you know, within the last, you know, year seven, eight, nine, going into year 10 has been really when, you know, I've, I've just, we're just to a scale where it's like, yeah, you it's can't just impractical for me to be on, you know, we have too many accounts running, right? So I can't even go spin up all those different accounts. Yeah. Right, that kind of a thing. Yeah. So the, the so, area of focus shifts. I mean, what what cer- certain things need more of your attention at different points than others, and that forces you to let go of stuff. Well, well, yeah, right. And so, so like one of the things that I was really clear on um, in my late twenties, early thirties, is I went through all the Stephen Covey stuff, and and was very much a big fan of the Seven Habits, and you know, put first things first, and Eighth Habit, and you know, all those different things, and. And so I went through the whole personal mission statement stuff. And one of the things I got really clear on early on, uh, really before I even started leading Agile, is I called it freedom of time and place. And it's like, it's like I don't want to, like I just know in my soul that the more things that I'm tied to, like the less freedom I'm ultimately going to have to decide. Okay. And, and, it's, and it's not just you know, freedom to work or not to work, but it's freedom to choose the kind of work that you want to do and to be involved in things that you're passionate about. And to explore things that interest you, whether they're work-related or not work-related. And so, so I kind of went into it knowing that. So I've, I've, I've probably been guilty of hiring support too early, okay. more often than not hiring support at all. And I'm probably more guilty of delegating things um, to people and hoping that they'll figure it out than I am trying to micromanage them. Okay, so, and okay. It's, yeah. Can I kind of jump in? Yeah. So, all right. So yeah. for, there's going to be product owners who, who are like that and product owners who yeah. feel like they have to make sure that the team does it right. Yeah. Um, I mean, what kind of advice, if it's somebody who is trying to let go, are there things you can yeah. suggest about making sure that they get what they want? I mean, other than telling well, everybody exactly what to do. Well, the, the hard thing, the hard thing, I said, the, the hard thing about being me, um, you know, the <laughs> just hard thing waking up about, every morning yeah, and looking just, in the just, mirror, just getting up. Right. Yeah. So the, <laughs> oh, God, the, the hard thing, again. no, the yeah. hard thing, um, <laughs> a hard thing about being an entrepreneur that has a strong point of view about what it is that they're trying to build. Right. Is that, is that you want it like you have this, you have this picture 
perfect, clear kind of vision in your head. Right. And, and so for me, that's not like a really, that's not like I want to be 250 people and I want to be this many millions in revenue and I want to operate exactly like this. But I have like a really clear picture of the kind of company that I want us to be, right? And I want it to be, you know, principles based and frames based and and um and this is know, formed to, over 49 years of your life it's not like it just well, happened yeah yeah right so i have this really clear idea of the kind of company i want it to be and so it's so it's like it's like you want people like what i want is i want people to align with how i think about things and build systems and such that that mirror the kind of company I want it to be. Yeah. But the reality is, is that what's in my head is not always, um, well, I'll be candid, as clear as I think it is. Um, <laughs> the, the other thing is, is that I also don't, well, it seems so clear, you know, until you try to, to you. say it, right? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but then the other side of that coin is that, is that, you know, when you communicate to somebody, there's like, there's like the intent that's in your, you know, your head or your heart yeah. There's the words you choose, right? And then those 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 words get per, imperfectly communicated. Yeah. And then they're received by somebody who brings a totally different perspective to the table, right? They interpret those words through their biases and fears and experiences and all this different kind of stuff, right? And then they internalize it in some way, right? And then maybe you get what you want and maybe you don't, right? Because the our ability to communicate is, is just imperfect. And, you know, even with whiteboards, even face-to-face, -face, even sitting down, even trying to do modeling, right? It's, it's, it's imperfect. And so like what I, like I, where I'm trying to get to is that there's like, what I've gotten clear on is that there is a, <clears throat> um, there are things that, that, that are uniquely me and there's things that are not uniquely me. And, and so to get to your question about product owners who are trying to let go, what I think the challenge is, is to figure out what are the parts of your job that you do that are uniquely you, that if you pull out of them, they can't be, that done. it just won't be the same, yeah. right? Um, accounting is not uniquely me, but how we do financial modeling at least initially was uniquely me, right? How we manage risk and uncertainty and forecasting and how we make decisions and, um, you know, advance ourselves into the future that we don't know, right? My ability to, to look out and to figure out how to balance cash and delivery and sales and growth and understanding of the market and all that kind of a thing, um, that's, that's a unique perspective that I bring that, that I haven't encountered anybody else who thinks about it the way I do. I think it's a little bit of my secret sauce. And so, and so like our CFO, you know, he has all of the forecasting for the banks, anything that's linear and predictive and has to be right. And, you know, QuickBooks and balancing to this, right. But when it comes to investment decisioning and how we're going to spend money and how we're going to take risks and market and um, predictive hires and, you know, investment strategy, like I'm heavily involved in that. Because I want to shape our personality as we move forward, you know. And so, one of the things when you and I were first kind of conceiving this talk, I was, I was thinking through like the times where I have failed as what I would say is the I guess the product owner of leading agile, right? Where I failed is that, is that when I try to delegate invention, I'm usually not happy. 
like if we're trying to figure out um, the next evolution of storytelling on the website, or we're trying to figure out the next evolution of our model, or we're trying to figure out the next evolution of transformation storytelling or something like that. Um, just, it just really can't be delegated, right? That, that's, that's me, right? That's, that's me inventing things. Like anything underneath that story, right? The team invents new stuff up underneath our model all the time. How we talk about it in market is, is uniquely me. Um, it, like we're going through this thing right now that I've decided to be actively product ownering uh, within the organization. I call it employee lifecycle management. It's everything from like an integrated system for how we how we hire and select talent all the way through you know termination, but like all the the onboarding and the um, and the career progression and salary management, and all those different things. And and you know, there's I have leaders that are that are associated with each of those parts. But the way we were trying to integrate things across all the different parts was like was was unique. It was invention, right? It wasn't like something you could say, "Well, I did this in my own company. I think we're going to do that here," because we're not trying to build something like this person's old company, right? We're trying right. to build something that's really special, right, and really unique. And so, so what I got really clear on, kind of during this process, after you know, candidly beating my head against the wall for a couple of years trying to ask people to do things that that, and I just wasn't getting what I wanted back from it. As I kind of said, look, when it comes to um, vision, when it comes to leadership, and then the third thing, which was, was kind of not readily obvious to me when it comes to architecture. So it was vision, leadership, and architecture for things that we're inventing. Then most of the time, at least at the top level, is, is uniquely me. Okay. Right? Because I have a point of view on that stuff. Or I have a point of view on where we're going. Um, I kind of have to be involved in getting us there. I have a, I have a, um, a strong sense of our organizational design, organizational architecture, how it's going to evolve in the future. Um, I have to be involved in those things, especially I, when we're inventing new stuff. Can I interrupt? Yeah, please. Okay, I, I want to go back a okay. little bit here and kind of climb on the, the life cycle management thing. Okay. Um, so one of the things I've seen at the company, and it goes back to what you said originally, like I have this idea in your head of what the comp what, what you want the company to be. Yeah. And it's you can explain it as many ways as you want, but getting it to be in other people's heads the way you want it to be, that's the tricky that's hard. part. Because really each person yeah. has to be encoded differently for what you want to be stamped in there to be there the way you want it. Yeah. So initially small company, a lot easier, but as it grows, as it changes. Sure. That becomes frustrating and it's harder. And I, and I kind of yeah. watched that happen. Like new people would come in and they'd be great yeah. coaches, but they don't understand the leading agile way. And so it's yeah. just like, how do you, how do you fix that? And you guys went through multiple iterations of developing the onboarding program. Sure. And to me like that, that still goes back to that product ownership thing. Like a product owner can create a vision for a product and say it to somebody getting them to understand it, finding a way to communicate with the team the way that you need to, finding a way to develop the trust so you can let it go and they're not going to bring you back something that's like, eh, nah, ugly baby, I don't want this. Um, well, well, so here's an, here's an interesting take on, on this is, you know, one of the things that, that I go back to a lot, and I'm gonna, it's going to take me three hops, but I'm going to like tie, tie right, this back. To I'll be quiet. Point. Okay, so just go. No, you can, you can interject. You just got to go along for the ride with me a little bit. Okay. We all we're all like familiar with Jeff Patton's like Mona Lisa picture, right? Pretty famous picture yep. that uh, that you know probably one of the best things um, that I've ever seen for describing incremental and iterative delivery. Um, I think even as agilists, 
most of us struggle with incremental and iterative delivery. I think, I think it's just a difficult concept because, because we have, in most cases, a notional idea of, of what we think the, the whatever it is we're doing should yeah. be. Right? We see the end state. We see the vision, right? all these different things. Um, this is something else that gives me a lot of empathy for our clients and for product owners and things is that, um, is that, is that it's really difficult to put something in market that is complete and functional or that complete's not the right word that is functional and high quality. Yeah. But doesn't feel as complete as we want. Doesn't to. meet your vision. Yeah. It doesn't meet your vision. Right. But if you, if you can't learn how to, and, and there's a lot of things underneath this, right? The growth mindset, fixed mindset stuff, just your personal um, self-confidence, um, your commitment to the vision, right? Your understanding that this is the way it has to be, right? There's all kinds of different things to get up underneath it. But, but there's a lot of barriers, a lot of psychological barriers to delivering things early into market. And so I inherently think, I just, I, I don't know, I guess it's just given what I do or maybe it's how it's brought up, right? But I inherently think in terms of incremental and iterative delivery. And so like what I'll, what I'll say to people often is like, okay, look, this is, I want the minimally viable product. I want the smallest, simplest thing that could possibly work. Um, I want you to cross these 10 different tracks and I want you to pull together an integrated system that solves this problem in its simplest possible form. Something like that, right? And I'll spend some time and I'll give some guidance and some thoughts and some examples and all these different things. And, and then, um, and then people, what I think is happening, right? I obviously I don't know what's happening, right? Is that I'm not building a specific detailed backlog for them. I'm not spelling it out, right? I'm trying to give them a lot of room to color within the lines. Yeah. But what I think people have a hard time with is that they go, well, it can't be that simple. So therefore I need to make it really hard and complicated. And, and then they spend weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks envisioning something only to come up with something that's like, yeah, it's not what I want. So, and so, yeah, I want to, I want to ask about this for a second. So when you're talking about that, I'm thinking of that, you know, you brought the Mona Lisa picture. I'm thinking of that skateboard, bike, motorcycle, car thing. Yeah. You show up with the skateboard in your brain. It's a car. And you're like, here's the car. And everyone's like, it's a skateboard. Like, no, it's a car. You just don't see the other parts yet because you know how it's going to turn out. Well, well, what I think is difficult is like, I, I think Henrik Nieberg came up with that diagram. Um, and, I, and I reacted to it kind of negatively because like, I don't know. Me too. <laughs> I don't know. Like, like if you were saying minimally viable transportation, maybe. Yeah. Maybe, right? But, but the problem is, is that a skateboard doesn't doesn't do the job. Iterate doesn't iterate into a bike, and a bike doesn't iterate into. A, I don't remember the the things, but, a scooter, but if you know you want a car, a car, just bring me a steering wheel. Well, well, no, but a steering wheel doesn't doesn't serve as transportation, right? So, like to me, like what would be like a minimally viable car that's going to lead to or minimally viable car that's actually going to lead to the car that you want. Okay. It might be like, again, we're riffing here, right? So I don't know how well this is thought out, but it's like, it might be like, okay, I've got a chassis and a seat and a steering wheel and an engine and a, um, and, uh, Oh, I'll I'll give you a better example. Right. So I have a, I have a Jeep Wrangler, right? I have a Jeep Wrangler Rubicon. And like when I first bought that, like the minimally viable Jeep for me 
was, let's say I wanted to buy the minimally viable Jeep, right? This isn't exactly okay. what I did, but a minimally viable Jeep, right? So I go out and I buy a, a stock Rubicon and it's got really basic stuff in it. And maybe Rubicon's isn't a great example because it's actually come pretty loaded, but it's like, has just basic stuff in it, yeah. right? But so it's a minimally viable Jeep, but it's not what I want it to be, right? Because let's say I want to take it off road or yeah. something, right? So, so, and this is what I did, right? So over about a six month to a year period, you know, you, you put a lift kit on it and then you put new tires and wheels and then you can change the suspension and then you change the, um, you know, the, the steering and handling, and then you can put a new stereo okay. in it and then you can do, you can make it more closer suitable to purpose, but it was always a Jeep and it was always, that's a, a really good viable example. Jeep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like a minimally viable house, right? Yeah. Um, you know, if you're going to, it's like a minimally viable, it isn't like, you put a shack on the property and then you build a 1600 square foot home and then you tear it down and you build a 2400 square foot home. Like if you know you're going to build a, a, a 5,000 square foot home, but you had to do it minimally viable, right? You'd probably dig the basement and pour the concrete and you'd frame the entire house yeah. and you'd put enough plumbing in it to where you didn't have to pull up concrete later. Just enough right? architecture so to, to Just enough architecture part. to yeah. know where you're going, but you might only actually finish maybe you finish the garage first right sure. you put a roof on the garage you, sleep in you don't even put drywall on the garage maybe you put some some you know you put enough to keep you warm enough maybe there's a bathroom right these are minimally viable and then Mosquito while you're living, in a bucket there you go yeah and then and then and then while you're building the rest of the house you know while you're finishing out the rest of the house then you know, you're, you're putting floors and drywall and plumbing and things like that. And then you yeah. can live in the rest of the house, but then maybe you come back and then you do carpet and then you do paint and then you do light fixtures and then you do other things, right? So the, the thing that people, I think, miss is that you have to have enough of the architecture to where the really expensive decisions don't have to get re redone. Okay. But then, but then it has to be, it has to be usable in its current state. And so, and, and that's like a really tough balancing act. And it's a very, I right? think that your position on, this is one of those areas where your position on this, I think is pretty unique because you are a believer in a certain amount of structure, architecture, governance, whatever, more than like that. Oh, everyone will just figure it out thing. Um, well, well, you end up with like, what do they say? Like a Winchester house, right? If you don't have any architecture for what you're doing and you don't have a vision for where you're going, you end up with a, with a hodgepodge of stuff. Right. And it, and it ends up just it ends up just kind of being a mess. Yeah. Like like I look back, I look back to the early days of leading agile. And, you know, if, if I go back to some of the stuff that we did in year one, right, I think we did quality work the entire time. But if you look at what we were able to bring to bear candidly with the with the talent that we had available to us. Like we're not the same company as we were 10 years ago. No. And and so should I have sat here and tried to to drum up working capital for an unproven idea to go out and hire 120 people out of the gate to do transformation work for fortune 10 companies that I've never done before. Yeah. I mean, that's like, not going to work. You can't, right? It right. just wouldn't work. Well, for one, it wouldn't work, but, it, but it's just like you, you couldn't do it, right? You don't have enough of an idea of what the market needs from you. 
And so in year one, when we was just me, and then in year two, when there was like, we went from like six to 13 and year third, you know, three, you go to, you know, 13 to, to 35 or something like that. Right. And it progresses. And then we were around 60 and then we're around 70. And then we shot up to around hundred or like 120 now, like all the things that have had to evolve over time. Um, you know, we've learned, we've learned hiring models. We've learned personality profiling. We've learned how to build our internal methodologies. We've learned a ton about HR and benefits and payroll and compensation strategies. I mean, we're, we're like, like the talent that will come work for us now wouldn't even come work for us six or seven years ago. Yeah. You know, you have to be financially solvent enough to pay people what, what they're worth. Um, you have to be able to do bonuses. You have to be able to, you have to be able to, to have Draw cash the right in the people. bank. You have to, you have have to be able to have lines of credit. You have to have all kinds of different things, right? None of that stuff was available to us in year one. Right. And, and so, and so in year one, what you have to do is you have to bring enough of a product to market that people will buy it from you and you have to do credible enough work to where they feel good about it. Right. And they're referenceable. And then you have to hire a little bit and then you have to save some cash and then you have to make some investments and then you have to deliver some more work and build a little bit more cash and make a little bit more strategic hires and then go to the bank and get a loan and do this and blah, blah, blah. Right. And so, but like the whole time, you're building this model, right? It, right. It's, you have all these different things and you're, and you're building it and it's getting better and better and better and better all the time. And, you know, there's been, like, I think I've said this on the podcast before, they had a lot, like, like Leading Agile's done a great job of hiring awesome people. Um, nobody that's worked here with few, well, let's say with maybe a few exceptions, like everybody that's worked here has been awesome. And, and it's like, but, but like the people that were working here five or six years ago, like, I don't know that we would hire them today. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because our understanding of the, the profile that it takes to do the kind of work we're doing now, like, we understand it better, but it's also the nature of the work has changed, too. But the, and it's you also know? that the way that this goes back to the onboarding thing, the way that people are brought into the thought process of what we do and how we do it and why we do it is much more mature than it was back then. So even if well, those people have the skills, we might the company may not have been mature enough to have the skills to feed them what they needed in the way that they needed. Well, well, sure, right? There's there's all kinds of dimensions in which it involves. But getting back to the key point, like kind of the product owner stuff, is that is that as you're building it, you have to be able to envision what the minimally viable instance of it looks like, and then you have to have some sense of how at least the mechanisms of how it's going to evolve over time and how it's going to build. And, and I'm telling you, like we're at a really critical place right now where we we're it's probably the second or third time we've done this, but we're re-architecting some of how we work internally to potentially double in size over the next couple of years. And so the decisions that we're making, so the decisions we made, we went from 30 to 60 to 120, you know, you have to be intentional about, how you collaborate, how you exchange information, how you how you um, communicate out, how you receive feedback up, how do you group people? Um, you know, how do you you know just on on and on and on? You have to be super cognizant of maintaining culture and communication paths and alignment and all these different things, and that changes radically as as you as you get bigger. And so the architecture that you start with, you don't have to be perfect at it. But over time, you have to expect to refactor it some. 
And then it has to, you have to like constantly be monitoring how well it's going to scale with you. And so, and so as a product owner, like that's, that's really, that's difficult because like I tell you, there's two or three accounts over the years that, that I really wish we had back, right? I, man, I wish we could have done those as a, year nine, yeah. as, a, as a year nine company instead of a year four company or year three company, right? That kind of a thing. Could have done so much more, but we did the best we could with what we had at the time. And if you're not comfortable, right? If you, if, if as a human being, as Mike Kottmeyer has his name all over, you know, leading agile in the industry and everything, if you're not comfortable putting yourself at personal risk, you know, I can't tell you how many times like I've sat down and like at a conference and somebody like, Oh yeah, I heard you guys were at this account. Man, I don't, I don't know if that went well. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I want one. I don't think I know what to say to you, you know? Um, <laughs> so is your mom, buddy. That's yeah. what you say. Well, it's like, you don't even know what to say, right? It's like, it's like, okay. Yeah. Like, okay. So, so maybe it went well, maybe it didn't. Not sure you have all the information. I've got more insight to that. I can't share with you, but you know, but those are the things to, that got you to the, got the company well, to the growth well, state it needed to be, to be what it is now. True. But, but think about it, but think about it from a very human perspective. If I were a different human being that allowed that kind of feedback or negativity to like bother me to my core, oh, we'd be screwed. that'd be really, really difficult. <laughs> It'd be really, really difficult to put something in market it's hard, yeah. right? So you think about a product owner, right? So, so you think about all of the challenges associated with it, right? So there's the, you know, it just exists on a thousand different levels. It's like, it's like they're super busy. Um, we talked about the imperfect communication, you know, it's, if you're doing invention versus something that's more operational, then you take in like people's personalities and are they willing, you know, do they under even understand how to deliver incrementally and iteratively, do they, you know, do they have the internal fortitude to put out something that is functional and great and will cause us to learn, but, you know, isn't as perfect as we would like it to be? Maybe we make some, we do some iterations or build some increments that we, that, that don't work as well. And we make some, we misread our market. We make some mistakes. Um, you know, those things are like, they're difficult, right? This is, this is not for the faint of heart. So I have a personal, uh, like a more personal question. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. if we make the, the parallel that an entrepreneur is like a product owner in a company, mm-hmm. um, you just talked about, you know, somebody coming up to a conference, to you at a conference and be like, oh, did you guys crap the bet on that one? Yeah. Well, it wasn't quite that harsh, but, well, but, I, but I get there, your, but, I get but your there's been point. stuff where, I mean, there, there's been times, there's been things that happen where you're like, oh yeah, yeah that's going to leave yeah. a mark. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. For you individually, like, are you able to just like, yep, we're going to win some, we're going to lose some, or does that really like drive a spike into you? And how do you work out of it? If it so, um, well, well, it's, it's kind of like a, it's, it's a yes and kind of a thing. Um, it bugs it. Yeah. It bugs me. Right. It's like every, like every mistake we've ever made, like big or small, um, has driven innovation. Okay. In company, right? Um, I joke that you know most of our methodology was created by me coming up with something, Dennis telling me it wasn't working the way he wanted it to on site, and me getting pissed off, and you know, and then I would go invent something, right? Um, you know, a lot of our top level messaging was was invented in front of clients where we're trying to communicate like ideas to them. Um, you know, when we have struggled on accounts for whatever reason. You know, we've we've either learned, um, you know, the the human being failure modes, like the personality profiles, and that we've learned how to hire better, or we've learned how to support our consultants better. 
or you know we've learned how to manage expectations of the client better right like all those different things and so <clears throat> so does it bug the crap out of me absolutely do i take every single um every single time that we've had any kind of blip um personally yeah absolutely do i feel it reflects on me as an individual yes but but i don't but but there's something about me and my dna that like it doesn't crush me you know, um, I, I don't, I don't have like a tool or a technique or I, there's nothing I can say, but it's like, but it's like, what else are you going to do other than pick yourself up, dust yourself off and, and move on. And well, the, you could sure wallow, happen, right? you could, you know, flagellate yourself for a while, really punish yourself. There's options. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting, right? Um, so, so I, I don't know where the source of this, like I know who, who communicated this to me, but it's like, I, I don't know what his original source was is that he was communicating entrepreneurism is kind of like a, like a spindle. And like, he kind of drew this, like imagine like a pole, like, um, uh, like up the middle of this diagram and, and this, this thread going up the pole or up the needle. Right. right. And, and that's what he's using as a visualization. And it's like, and it's like every time you go around the loop emotionally, it feels the same. Right. Even though you've got a better class of problems, like I can remember wow. in year one, I can remember in year one making payroll. Like I think, like, and this is probably too much information for this podcast, but I'm making like one hundred thirty thousand dollars for the payroll and have like a thousand dollars in the bank afterwards. Okay. Right, that's a lot of stress, right? Yeah. Um, and timing and everything, but then now you're dealing in millions, and and it's like. And it, the problem is like, oh my nearly God, it the, still sucks to have to worry it, about this. Well, it still it still sucks, right? Because you're looking at like, well, you've got a three to you know, consulting is pretty common. You have a three to six month cliff. Yeah. You know, you're constantly in contract renewal with people. You're constantly trying to demonstrate value and making sure that you're able to help so you can justify hearing you talk doing the next about thing with them. Me out. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a lot of work, right? And 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 what's interesting um, is that the stress associated with making one hundred thirty thousand dollars apparel and have a thousand dollars in the bank feels the same as some of the stresses that we're dealing with now. Yeah. Um, Chris Beale, um, you know, likes to, he says something that's like, we have better problems today than we had a year ago. Right. It's so emotionally, the problems feel the same, right? They, 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 they kick off the same biochemical triggers in your brain. <laughs> yeah. Right? The same threat responses. Right. But it's a, it's a way different class of problem. And so, so I think, so part of it is that, is that, you, you almost have to be able to step back and go, we're not in an infinite loop, even though it feels like it. We're right. not making the same mistakes over and over. The class of problems that we have today are way different than the class of problems we had seven or eight years ago. And we're making progress. It's just that it's, it's hard. It's difficult doing what we're doing. Yeah. You know? And so... I don't know. Is that answering? Is that like yeah? The, I was like really more. I was okay. thinking like you know, a product owner produces something and they show it in a sprint review or they give it to the client and it totally you know tanks and yeah. it's like ah yeah because the, the bottom just dropped out and you've got to find a way to go back and still bring value and still come back and encourage the team and be like, look, this is going to get better. We're going to keep yeah. And so I was yeah. just I was wondering if you were somebody who took that like really hard because I've also seen people who just yeah whatever you know sometimes you're going to hit the ball sometimes you're going to whiff and that's the way it is. Yeah, I think if you, I so so there's there's there might be some false bravado that goes along with that because like it's it's hard for me to believe that you could be a successful entrepreneur if you like or a successful product owner if you didn't care. Yeah, right. If you're like yeah, I win some, lose some, yeah, whatever. Um, 
I think people come off that way sometimes. I, I think it's really, really difficult to, but, to to have something that you put this much energy into and not take it a little bit personally. I think, don't you think you have to have some kind of, I mean, I guess it's the same thing for me when I'm teaching. Like if I get a bad review from a student, I take that really hard, but there's got to be a point at which I'm like, okay, this was a bad one. I got I'm going to go up again next, do a better job next time. Um, you kind of put it away and you move on, which isn't always easy to I, do. I, one of the things that I think you hear guys like Gary Vaynerchuk talk about a lot is, is it like at some point you almost have to like fall in love with the process. You know, it's yeah. like if, if you're only, if you're only concerned about the outcome, you know, we always talk about, you know, weight and, ca- and marathons and things like that. But it's like, if the only joy in the world is around the marathon and you don't get any joy out of learning and overcoming and doing all the different things necessary to get to that point, right? All that work is a grind. Yeah. And so I had a kind of an epiphany. It's probably in my early thirties at the time. And I went on like a 40 mile hike, um, from, you know, between state parks here in Georgia It's like on the early, like the first intro, like first 40 miles of the Appalachian trail and the approach trail and stuff. And I did it as a solo hike. And I remember like, I'm very destination oriented. And, and at that stage of my life, I remember I was walking on the trail and you're going up and you're going down and occasionally you get some flat, you know, trail and, you know, just learning to like appreciate the terrain. Yeah. No matter like what the terrain was. And, and when you're doing long distance hiking, if you don't find a way to enjoy the walk, right, then what's the point, right? I mean, because you're, you're just getting to a shitty little cabin or sleeping in a tent or something, right? There's, there's no big payoff right at the end of the day, right? There's a sense of accomplishment at the end of three or four days or, or six months if you're doing the whole AT, something like that. Right. But it's like you have to fall in love with the walk. And, and so I think to some degree, um, being an entrepreneur, building anything, right, that you're passionate about, um, there's, a, there's an element where you have to learn to love the journey. And sometimes part of that journey is you're going to fail and, and things aren't going to work out the way you want. But I mean, if everything worked out the way you wanted it to all the time, you'd never learn. That would suck. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like, it sounds like that would be awesome, but I think oh. in real life it would, it would not be great. It's you the know? sour that makes the sweet, man. Well, yeah. Right. It's the yin and the yang, right? The, the dark and the light, right? All that yeah. kind of stuff. And if you're not in the pit, right, then, then you don't have the opportunity to enjoy it. the peak, right? Yeah. Right. And so, so sure. Right. And so it's, so I think there is an element of where you have to kind of learn to enjoy the journey, but, but, you know, trying to, trying to continue to anchor back to this theme, Right. I mean, think about think about all the different things that, you know, we're, we're trying to do when you're in any kind of a product owner um, position. Right. And those things are tough. Right. They're tough and they require like internal work. Right. They, they, they force you to answer the question of like, this isn't just this isn't just like what I do for a living. It's like like who I am and my personality and my disposition and my intelligences and all that stuff, you know, really influence my ability to survive this, right? Yeah, and so it's, um, yeah. So, so yeah. Getting back to that that original point, it's like it's like it's funny building a company, kind of entrepreneurs, product owner. It's given me kind of a funny appreciation for product owners that that um, or the the role right is described to product owners because this tension between you've got something in your head, you have limited time to communicate to the team but it's mission critical that you get it done. You know? I want to ask you a question now. 
Shoot. That's a great place for I think Shoot. to put in here. So listening to you talk about this, thinking about the job of product owner, thinking about yeah. my own personal work, um, I feel like this company, right, it, it, that you've created, it's there, yeah. it's there to teach you in the same way that a product owner is not just producing a product. The product, the company, the people they're working with, they're the person's teacher. Just like every time you pick up a guitar, the guitar is trying to teach you something. Are you saying that the company's teaching me? Yes. Yes. The company oh, yeah, is there to sure. be your teacher. So I was going to, I mean, it, it, maybe that's a little kind of growth mindset, but um, what is, you know, I usually try to end with a weird question, but I'm curious about okay. like, what is the last, what is the biggest lesson in the last 10 years that this company has taught you about yourself or about business like or agile, whatever? <clears throat> wow. That's a big question, man. Um, you know, I don't know that I have a, have a ready answer. You'd said something to me. Um, it was just in a just casual conversation. I think when we got together gathering or something, you're like, it's neat to watch like, like how I continue to find I'd say this to, to people learn. all the time, all yeah. the time. I'll say it right like, now. Say, say One it, of my yeah. favorite parts about going to the annual gathering is, yeah, you and I were friends. I mean, we knew each other yeah. before I took the job. Before, yeah. But every year, it's like a different version of Mike shows up, and I get to watch yeah. this evolution of you into being yeah. a guy who who knows how to run a big company from somebody who was, you know, showing up with his sunglasses on when he gave presentations. All these different versions, yeah. and yeah. that to me is is my favorite part is just seeing the growth in you because it's just well, really cool to watch. Well, okay, so 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna quick diversion. In actually our ten year video, there was this video of me giving a presentation with my sunglasses. Oh on. my god, it's all and over I, YouTube. There's so many I, videos of you doing that. And I'm trying to figure out, like, in what universe was I doing a presentation a with sunglasses? Of of you with well, sunglasses. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm guessing it's, it can't. It can't be something I did all the time, was it? Really? It was. Like, are these it different there's, videos? There's a number of videos of you with sunglasses. Well, like, what universe? Like, what context could I possibly have been sitting up in the front of a conference room with sunglasses you were on, cool, giving a man. talk? You were being cool. Like, I saw that, and I was just like, really? <laughs> I, okay. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Fine. You know, people okay. people who yeah. had mullets are probably asking the same question. I, yeah, I guess, but I just don't. I don't remember ever thinking like, <laughs> "Yeah, I'm the guy that wears sunglasses in the front of the room." Right? I just don't remember <laughs> that being part of like me. Right? But whatever. <laughs> I, I clearly was. There's video evidence. Like, I'm just trying to figure out like where yeah. my head was. Like, why that would have happened. <laughs> but um, but yeah, right. So um, what's interesting, right, is that every step of my career, <clears throat> um you know, to do the next thing requires you to let go of the last thing. And, and like when I went from doing like infrastructure work to project management to whatever it was that I've been doing over time, right? going and doing consulting to going and starting a consulting company to, you know, doing my own thing to building an organization to do my own thing, right? Um, you have to let go. <clears throat> and and so for some reason, I've, I've always been pretty good at letting go of the past to become like what I want to be in the future. The, the last three to four years have put a tremendous amount of pressure on me as a human being because, it's, and this is something we find even with our consultants, is that as you go from being like a doer to being like, and I'm not going to get this exactly right, but being like a leader to being like an organizational architect, visionary, like somebody who's, I'm leading 120 people, right? Right. Um, and, and it's going to be more here pretty soon. Um, the higher you go up in consulting, right, from, you know, practices coaching to doing transformation coaching to going and selling, you know, um, enterprise multi-million dollar class deals, um, 
it's not technical skills that are the limitation. It's who you are as a human being that becomes the limitation. Wow. And so, and so the journey that you've seen specifically over the last couple of years is, is I got really clear about it two years ago that if I was going to survive this, I literally had to become a different human being. And, and like to the, to the extent of like, um, you know, you saw me at the gathering, I'm down 60 pounds. I'm super strong. I've had to like rebuild and, and not that it was a crazy, weird, bad thing, but like, I literally am rebuilding the relationship with my wife. And, you know, as we go into the next 25 years of our being married, um, transcendental meditation, um, just, um, how my approach to leadership and, and, it, it's been probably the most radical letting go of like your previous self yeah. to become the person that you Shedding have to be for this next. Right. Yeah. Cause it's like, you have to, you, you have to kind of, you have to kind of work backwards and go like, if I want to do these things, like what kind of person is required to do these things? And am I that kind of person? And if you're not, and you want to do those things, you got to become the kind of person that can do those things. You know, I know it's like deep and heavy and everything, but it's like, like just literally. You had a little like Brene in, Brown moment there, Mike. Well, you know, I don't, I don't know. Right. So, so my whole thing isn't shame and guilt and all that kind of stuff, but it's like, it's, it's a little bit more, I'll, I'll throw you for a little period. It's a little bit more Eckhart Tolle, right? Ooh. It's a little, it's a little, it's a little, um, Buddhist Zen, yeah. Kind of, it's like, it's like being in the now, being in the moment, um, yeah. non-resistance to what is, because like what, where I would, where I like when, like the deepest work that I've done recently is going from somebody who's like, who's running around. I want things to be the way I want them to be so bad that I'm kind of, I don't want to go too far with this, but like, you know, kind of a jerk, kind of demanding, like it yeah. has to be this certain way or, or overreacting when you don't get what you want or people don't see things the way that you want them, to, you want them to see right. them. And, and, you know, being centered enough to be able to go, okay, um, I have to engage this person in a healthy way. Cause it's very much like a, a Coburn cooperative game kind of a thing. If, 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 if I, if I burn everybody out in the process and I overwork the team and I damage relationships with them, then I'm just churning through people. Right. But if I can recognize that we're all in this together, we're playing this cooperative game and the goal is to win and set up the next game. Right. Um, yeah. and, but we're not competing with each other. Maybe we're competing with the market, right? Maybe we're competing with clients kind of in a way, but you have to, you have to be the kind of person that can be centered enough to, to play, to play a longer game. And, and what I, and maybe that's, maybe that's the interesting thing it's taught me. It's like the bigger you get, the more that you're doing, the game becomes a longer game. Yeah. Cause in year one, you know, I want to say like our average deal size is like $20,000 and I just do $20,000 deals all day long and $20,000 deals are, they're easy to go get. They're easy to sell. Um, it's very low barrier to entry. You can, you know, directors often have that level of signing authority. Um, it's very straightforward. Training classes, short consulting engagements, right? Super, super easy. Um, or maybe easy isn't the right word, but straightforward, right? Yeah. It's doable. Um, when you're dealing with Fortune 10, Fortune 100 companies, you'll often have two, three, four year um, lead times, right? Yeah. And, and so you have to not only be, you have to be tracking to where the market's going. 
You have to be developing your message ahead of time. You have to be building relationships with people that you don't have any intention of doing work with for years. Um, you know, because you can't show up when you have a big client taper down and go, Oh, I need more work. Where am I going to go find the next fortune 100 company? Yeah. Right. It just hasn't done work that way. Right. And so you have to be constantly putting value in the market and you have to be constantly speaking to people's needs and helping and being generous and all these different things. And so you have to, you have to be patient and you have to develop capabilities to do this and you have to develop capabilities in the people to do it. And, and, you know, I talk a lot, um, talk a lot at the gathering about leading agiles being an invitation to participate and anybody who's signed up to come work for us is, um, they're, they've signed up not just to do the work, but to be along for the ride Yeah. and that we're figuring stuff out and, you know, we're figuring stuff out now at 120. We're gonna have a whole different class of things to figure out when we're 250 and I'm going to be my, I'm going to do my best to anticipate, but in a lot of ways, we don't know what the market's going to throw at us, right? We don't right. know how things are going to change. So becoming the kind of leader that can build the necessary relationships and operate in a way that um, enlists people, um, like that's a lot of work, right? I mean, so, so, so basically... Product owner in the large... Well, leading agile is like it's a so it's not that it's taught me a thing, but right. it's constantly forced me to refine my thinking. Oh, good. And challenge the status quo. Okay. Because you know, I, again, I don't know if it's just an artifact of growth or if it's inherent. And like, this is the only company I've ever done, right? So I, I don't have a history of this. Right. Um, but if you're not if you're not willing to um, rebuild yourself periodically, then um, then I then I. I don't think you get to keep playing. I think that was awesome. And I don't want to cool. ask you any more questions. Because that was really good. <laughs> okay. I think we should That's a good, like, I, we'll just put an exclamation point I on do, it. Call it yeah. A day, so huh? one thing I do want to, I want to give you a second. So okay. We were going to talk about Kimmy. It didn't come up, but I want to give a shout uh, out to her. Do you yeah. want to say hey to her? Yeah. Do I want to, did yeah. you ask her? You want yeah, to oh. on the podcast? Well, well, yeah. Right. For anybody who, who doesn't know, right. Who's not kind of like in my in my uh, social circle or whatever? Uh, my wife right. got diagnosed with uh, with chronic myeloid leukemia about almost a year and a half ago now, and it went into something called blast crisis last summer, which caused her to have to go through like chemotherapy, and she went through a bone marrow transplant on December twentieth, and then um, so she's like thirty five days post um, bone marrow transplant right now. And we just got some blood work back. And uh, without going into the whole process, like what's involved in a bone marrow transplant, um, you basically end up with the donor's DNA in your blood. And so one of the ways they check to see if the uh, transplant took is what percentage of your blood is your donor's DNA versus what percentage is yours. And, and ultimately, you want it to be 100. But at this stage, like anything 50 to 80 would have been trending in the right direction. Anything above 80, they would have just like, they wouldn't have even measured again. And uh, so she got back her blood work and it was like 98% donor DNA, which means that she's like largely, you know, knock on wood, right out of the woods on this. And awesome. so we're, we're still, yeah, she's still in the recovery. It's not totally done yet. But, um, but yeah, right. That was a big moment, big moment. Yeah. So we have a lot going on, right? Got the news about her bone marrow transplant. You know, we got, uh, we're, we're beta testing the Zach Brown website. Um, right now and doing some early registrations on that. We'll get that out to everybody so they can join us for the big party on September 16th. Cool. Be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you for this. This was a really fun conversation. Very welcome. And yeah, congratulations, Kimmy. Yeah, congratulations, Kimmy. Awesome. 